Joining us today, we have Don Robison. Don is the seed administrator for the Office of the Indiana State Chemist. So thank you so much for your time today, Don. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. I'm excited about this. I love middle school, high school, and college science kids. Oh, you're in the right place then. That's for sure. <laughs> That's all we do. <laughs> but uh, we, uh, well, your title kind of gives away what we wanted to talk about. Uh, with the seed thing is so I, I think the best thing is let's just start with the elephant you know on the computer and um, because it's everyone's talking about right now the the seeds from China and so let's let's start there and then we'll go into and maybe you can explain why anybody would care okay yeah the, the seeds from China thing you know I was coming back from vacation on Saturday night we've been hiking in the mountains for seven days oh wow and then I find out about these seeds from China from one of my counterparts in another state. I got, a, I got an email from, from my buddy in Pennsylvania and I didn't know anything about it. I said, what, what is this? Then I see I've got like 50 to 75 emails from my counterparts all over the country. And I said, wow, there's something going on. So I sent out a quick tweet on the state chemist Twitter page. And that tweet Normally, we get about yeah, a thousand people responding to our tweets. That tweet is now like 36,000 people responding to the tweet. Oh, wow. And, and I knew something was up yeah. <laughs> at that point. 36,000 is bigger than 1,000. Yeah. yeah a science fact right there. There you go. <laughs> I this, this is the content we need. <laughs> Now, so what what are they saying? What are, are are people getting the seeds then and or just hearing about it or well it's it's happening all over the country and and you know I've even talked to my counterparts in Canada. It's now happening in Canada and Great Britain. Uh, they're a couple of days behind us, but what we're finding is uh, pretty mundane packaging, mostly just white packaging, not colorful at all. It comes in like a small uh, envelope, bubble wrap envelope mailer, normally probably five inches by five inches. Mm. And it says China Post. A few of them have come from other countries, Uzbekistan and Malaysia are the other countries that I've heard the most. But almost all of them are coming from China. We're now at thousands and thousands of these packets across the country. Oh, wow. and, and there's been some really... Uh, mundane, pretty basic garden seeds and some of them. And some of them have weed seeds that are really a problem for the farmers of America. So it's, it's kind of all over the board. We're starting to hear a little bit more about the weed seeds coming in. Um, and so we're really making sure that people know not to plant these and don't throw them away. And one of the things you learn about in middle school science is landfills and the whole process of recycling and things like that. A real problem is if you throw this away, it ends up in a landfill and you have seed to soil contact with water and sunlight. So you've just planted them someplace else. Ah. And so what, um, all right, so there's a weird species that we grow in China. What's wrong with you growing that here? Well, the problem is there's really three, three things that could happen out of that. Number one is uh, that you could have a noxious weed seed. 
something that grows aggressively, multiplies quickly, produces a lot of seed, and can be moved by birds or the weather from one field to another, one property to another. Uh, we have a weed in the United States that's a real problem in Indiana and a real problem around with all of our surrounding states called Palmer amaranth. One plant can produce between 600,000 and a million seeds. What? One plant? One plant. One plant. Wow. So that plant has been moved through the use of farm equipment that wasn't cleaned between one field and another. It's been moved by birds uh, on migratory patterns that eat the bird or eat the food. And then when they when they get rid of that food, it's already fertilized. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> so it's spreading up the Mississippi and Missouri river basins uh, because of the bird uh, migration patterns. Indiana, most of it has followed. Uh, it's been it's gotten its way into dairy food, dairy feed, and then spread through the dairy feed from southern U.S. and cottonseed uh, holes and meal that are fed to dairies, dairy cows, and now it's up throughout the dairy areas of Indiana. Oh wow! Now, and these are invasive species, right? Well, those are called noxious weeds. Okay. Those are a little bit different than invasive species. The difference is noxious weeds we typically think of in the row crop farming areas of the state. The invasive species are kind of the same thing, but it's typically where they are in the wildlands of the country, the wildlands of Indiana. So they, they can spread the same way, they can do the same things, but one of them is in row crop farming and one of them is in wildlands or, okay. or public lands. So native or invasive species are non-native. Probably one of the invasive species that I hear about the most, uh, not saying it's come from China, but just to give everybody a, a heads up on it, is purple loosestrife. It's kind of a flower, or at least a flowering plant, but mm -hmm. it gets into waterways and around waterways and chokes down the waterways and really causes a problem with the native uh, fish and plants in, in and around waterways and ditches and things like that. It's really kind of pretty, so a lot of people don't think it's a problem, but it, but it is a real problem in the state. And that's purple loosestrife. The third problem, so you know, number one, we've got uh, invasive species, noxious weeds. The third problem is that these plants could come with a disease that we don't have here in the United States. So as an example, my buddy in Pennsylvania, again, who's a really smart guy, says uh, there's, a, there's a disease in um, cucumbers in China. We don't have that disease here. So the plant can really go through a blight-like process mm -hmm. and, and kill off the, the cucumber plants and the, and the fruit or the vegetable. So if we got that, um, disease here through this, these seeds that somebody planted, you know, they went against what we're asking them to do and they planted the seeds. That disease gets started here. You know, the Vincennes area of Indiana, there's a lot of melons and cucumbers and things like that, a lot of vines grown. What if that disease also hits melons? You know, Indiana's kind of famous for melons. Right. Well, that would be a real problem in the state. Uh, the Rocky Ford area of Colorado is famous for melons. Same thing there. It would be a real problem. Southern Illinois, the same thing. We really don't want these diseases 
invasive species or noxious weeds here. Now, we're not saying every packet of seeds is gonna be a problem like that, but we don't know, and the consumer and the public doesn't know which one could be a problem and which one could be harmless. Mm. So we're asking everybody to not plant the seeds and to not throw them away. And so where do they take them? Okay, the best place to take them or to mail them is to the USDA APHIS office in Franklin, Indiana. And I've got an address here for that. We it can is, include that. Uh, yeah, we can. 059 North Morton Street, M-O-R-T-O-N, Franklin, Indiana, 46131. And that's the USDA APHIS uh, office. APHIS is A-P-H-I-S. And that stands for Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service. Oh. They are the folks who are doing most of the investigation between behind why this is happening. Mm -hmm. Our lab on Purdue's campus is going to do some of the investigation of what the seeds are. We're going to we're going to do the analysis and find out what the seeds are, and then uh, log, you know, what what types of seed we got. Now, I, I saw a Facebook post. Someone hollered at me and, and like, hey, is this true? I'm like, I don't know. Um, but they said that the, the extension offices throughout Indiana are serving as collection centers also. Is this true? Yes. Okay. We're first asking people to send it to the APHIS office. Mm -hmm. If they can't do that, and they can call the DNR, uh, Division of Entomology and Plant Pathology, or they can drop them off at the extension office in their county. Okay. If they prefer, they go through the route of mailing it, but if they don't want to spend the, the couple of bucks it's going to take to mail it, they don't want to handle it anymore, they can call the DNR, Division of Entomology and Plant Pathology, someone will come by and pick it up, or if they're going to be by the extension office, they can just drop it off. Okay, okay. So are, is this coming from people that are, are people ordering seeds and they're just getting these or are these coming because they're just being stuck into things that other things that maybe people didn't order? Yeah, these are unsolicited in most cases. Um, okay. We've, we've, we've found stories where people are actually going uh, down and checking whether what they've ordered has come in or not. And what they've ordered hasn't come in yet, but this is unsolicited. This is on top of that. Um, we don't know yet whether this is something that people are actually have ordered gardening supplies or something like that off of mm -hmm. an online um, forum like Amazon or mm -hmm. something like that. So we don't know if that's where the names have come from, the addresses to send this stuff out. But one of the things we want to say, and we want to be really clear, is Ordering seeds online from someone you don't know is probably not a good idea for the three reasons we already identified, noxious weeds, invasive species, and diseases. It's really important to make sure that people order seeds from someone they know. Um, seeds are highly regulated. People probably don't know that, but that's kind of what my job is at the state. Um, seeds have to be tested at a qualified laboratory. Oh. And by testing, we mean they're tested for germination, for purity, to make sure that that's the only thing that's in that package is the seed that's supposed to be. It doesn't come along with other weeds. Nox other weeds and noxious weeds are different. Other weeds are weeds that 
uh, are bad, but they don't raise to the level of being noxious. Mm -hmm. And then um, we want to make sure also that they don't um, they that they germinate properly, and that they're what they say they are. So yeah. all of that has to come along with the seed when it's shipped to you, and it has to be a licensed seed seller that sends you the seed. So I'm guessing that the back room in China is not a licensed seed seller. Yeah. <laughs> I've looked up on our computer system, back room in China. Hadn't come up yet. Not showing up, huh? Not showing up. <laughs> They've not gone through the thing. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of scary to me because, I mean, I realize that there's lots of theories of why this might be happening and no one knows. Right. But uh, one, regardless of why, the intent, one outcome could be detrimental to our agriculture and to our economy. Yes, yes. And so and, and a lot of people don't realize that, that seeds, that, I mean, it, well, it's like you mentioned, even the third thing you mentioned is the, uh, the bacteria that might come on them. Right. People usually think that can only happen with a plant. How can the seed have the bacteria also? Well, if that if that plant was grown in a diseased area, diseased way, that seed there are called seedling diseases that come with the seed, and they can really cause a problem. Um, so, what we see in row crops in Indiana, um, primarily corn and beans, is most of the seed a farmer will plant is treated with something that will actually keep that seedling disease from being a problem. Mm. So most of the seed that's, that's grown for corn and bean row crop production is grown in really great conditions. So there's not much chance that there would be a seedling disease. But if, if your livelihood is, is based on whether your corn and soybeans germinate or not, you don't take a chance with that. So you put on a treatment that can be a biological or it can be a chemical mm -hmm. uh, that keeps that seedling disease from, a, from being a problem. So uh, in Indiana, we have roughly 12 million acres of uh, row crop farming in the state. 12 most million? Corn soybeans. So, and most of those acres would be treated with, with these either biologicals or chemicals to make sure that they didn't get a seedling disease. Mm. Now, I, I saw a dollar amount in one of the articles I was reading, the, the potential for like an invasive species, how economics wise. And it, it, I think if I remember right, it said it was literally in the billions of dollars. Uh, that would be an absolutely worst case scenario. Well, it's 2020. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's 2020 and this came from another country. What could go wrong? Yeah, exactly. What could go wrong? Um, so, so um, I know, for an example, uh, in Indiana, with a noxious weed, uh, the amaranth family of noxious weeds, which is Palmer amaranth, water hemp, and chemically resistant um, red root pigweed, that costs Indiana farmers millions of dollars a year. Just in Indiana farmers. Just for amaranth just to spray those weeds with another kind of chemical, which is more expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of years ago, I did a study and say the average chemical program for a farmer to control the weeds so he can actually grow a viable crop 
was between 40 and $50 an acre. If you have amaranth, that average chemical price per acre goes up to about $100 per acre. Oh my goodness. Multiply that times 12 million acres in the state of row crop corn and soybeans. And that's where you get the maximum potential cost. That's from a weed seed. That's only on the, the, the row crop acres. When you're talking about invasive species, and if it got into the waterways, or the, you know, here, uh, an invasive species that's not a plant, it's, it's an actual fish, is an Asian carp. Yeah. You've heard about that, but it's all over the state. And uh, in Illinois, they pay people to catch them. Oh. You, if you can prove you caught an Asian carp, I think they give you $100 per fish. Oh, my. Oh, wow. That's how bad the fish is because Illinois, um, who's, who's not exactly the most cash fluid state in the country, right. is paying people to fish. Finds value in getting rid yeah. of those. Yeah. Wow. Wow. It's, it's crazy how something so small can upset the entire ecosystem. Yes, really can. And I mean, that's really what we're combating, like with these seeds is, the unknown behind them can literally destroy the ecosystem in which we have different ecosystems throughout. And then you multiply that times, I mean, we have our state. Are we like an average or above average farmland or below? We're, we're typically in the top five of most production states. Um, okay. We'd be in the top five for corn, for soybeans, for uh, popcorn. I believe we're number one. Yeah. Or field-grown tomatoes were number one or number two. So uh, tomatoes is a very important crop in Indiana. We sure don't want any diseases that would affect the tomato crop either. Mm. Uh, that, that would be a, a, a big issue as well. Uh, we are number one in duck production, number two in egg production, oh, wow. number, number uh, one or two in, in chicken production. Indiana, oh, all those? Indiana, yes. Holy cow, I had no idea. I've lived here all my life and I had no idea. We way out punch our weight on, on agricultural production. Yes, we do. Wow. <laughs> How awesome is that? That's pretty cool, especially being from Purdue and ag school. Right, right. And so, well, uh, that's why, you know, Purdue's ag school is typically rated as one of the top couple in the, in the country and actually one of the top couple in the world. And it makes sense that we're in the state where so much ag production is, is happening. Mm -hmm. Well, Don, this is obviously a pretty new issue and it's certainly something that we want to get the word out about, but what are some other parts of your job as a seed administrator? You know, I'm glad you asked that because one of my, one of the parts of my job is I'm involved with the Indiana State Seed Lab. And I want to send out a kudos to the Indiana State Seed Lab and let everybody in the state know what, what our analysts do. We have one of the most highly credentialed seed labs in the, in the country, in fact, in the world, on the Purdue campus in the biochemistry building. Uh, seed analysts, um, you know, they, they, use, they use goggles and magnifying glasses and gloves and lab coats, and they, they analyze seeds, and they have to go through a very tough accreditation process. Very difficult. It takes years to get full, fully accredited and to be a seed analyst. And out of our seed analysts, everybody is fully accredited at the highest level, except for one, and that's only because she's only been here two years. 
So she's working on that next level of accreditation. We would be the only lab in America where every analyst is accredited at the highest level when she passes that next test. So oh, wow. it, it is really a cool place to work. A lot of science happens there all the time. Give you an idea of one of the things they have to do on their eight hour test. Ooh. Yeah, it's an eight hour test. Ooh, you lost me at eight hour. <laughs> one of the things they have to be able to do is they have to study thousands of different kinds of seeds by color, by shape, by texture, by name, by Latin name, and by uh, how you test that seed, what temperature, how long it goes in the germination machine, whether it has to be pre-chilled or not. They have to know all of that detail, whether it goes on a blotter, goes between rolled towels, goes in a Petri dish. They have to know all of that for thousands of seeds. And on that test, they're giving 300 of those thousands of seeds randomly and they have to identify them all. Oh. What? Yes. There are not a lot of people in the world who can do that. And we have a whole crew of people at Purdue that are very proficient at that and pass their tests with glowing numbers. Oh my goodness. It's a really cool thing to have at Purdue. Most state seed labs are not associated with the university and most of them will have one or maybe two people that are highly accredited in their lab and everybody else is a worker bee. Uh -huh. We don't have worker bees. We've got the, the queen bees everywhere we look. Holy and cow. it really works out well. So what are the, what's the background then for becoming, is it a seed analyst? And it sounds like you kind of need to know everything. You need the chemistry and the biology and the yes, you do. environmental yes, science. To be a seed analyst at Purdue, uh, in the Indiana State Seed Lab, part of the state chemist office, you need to have a degree, a four-year degree in a science field. Okay. And you have to be willing to go through all of the training and testing. So you have to sign up and say, okay, I'm willing to go through this years of testing. And, you know, it's really interesting. Um, I don't know if I can actually say this or not, but their pay is based on what level of accreditation oh. they're in. So they start off at a, at a reasonably a reasonable pay and when mm -hmm. they pass the first test we incentivize them to pass these tests yeah pass the second test we incentivize them again and reward them for passing that so that you know that happens in a lot of areas of science when you prove mm -hmm. that you're uh, at a certain level you're able, to, you're able to get more more kudos more pay out of that more reward so to yeah. speak so we're very pleased that we can do that um, the other part of what we do with my job is I get to do some pretty cool things with the law. I oh. actually help to write the regulations for the state of Indiana when it comes to seeds. And I never had any experience with that. I've been in the seed industry over three decades. I never had any experience with that until I came to Purdue about four years ago. And that's a pretty cool part. Um, having to write in lawyer talk, <laughs> but, it has to, but it has to be something that everybody can understand. Right. So you have to write in lawyer talk where everybody can understand it. And that becomes part of the state's regulations on how seeds are handled. So you go through the whole process of getting industry input, getting legislator input, getting Purdue legislative liaison input, 
any department of agronomy, department of agricultural economics, department of entomology, get input from all those different places before you can write these laws and be effective with what you're writing. Well, I'm glad someone who's been in seeds for a very long time is the person helping write that. Yes, well, it does make sense. And, and that's, I think, uh, I think that's one of the reasons that I was able to come on board is because I had that background in seeds. Um, give you an example, it's a, it's a long process. I was trained to update our noxious weed seed list and get amaranth on the list because it's so expensive for farmers. It was a three year process to do that. Oh my goodness. So it's, it doesn't happen overnight. Uh, give you an ex another example. We have a noxious weed that has been found to possibly be a viable crop. They're, they found a use for it and they found that uh, managed properly, it might be a viable crop. So part of my job is to make that determination to see if I can give a, a certificate that would allow a, a company that is highly regarded to run a test plot and they, to allow them to grow a small amount of that uh, noxious weed. Mm -hmm. And if it ends up being controllable and viable and economically viable, Mm -hmm. Go about the process of getting it taken off of that list. Uh -huh. So then it become, can become a forage crop for the livestock of the state. Oh my goodness. You can do a lot of cool things. Now, I did not expect to find my seed expert in the office of the state chemist. Right. <laughs> yes. Why? What's chemistry got to do with it? <laughs> That's really good. We, we work with chemistry every day in, in seed uh, because we have to know what chemistry is on the seeds when they're treated for, for seedling diseases and for seedling insects. So we have to know the chemistry we're dealing with so we can wear the proper uh, protective equipment, the PPE. The other part of it is the Office of Indiana State Chemists started in 1881 at Purdue. Oh. And and it has been a state agency, one of the oldest state agencies around, older than the Department of Agriculture. And what we do is we regulate seed. Fertilizer was the first law. So my, my buddy, Matt Pearson, is, is the fertilizer expert. And he's, he's happy to tell everybody that fertilizer was the first law. That's what started the state chemistry. <laughs> um, followed by seed, feed, pesticides, and now I also do hemp. Oh. Which which pretty well dominates my time over the last couple of years. Oh, really? Yes. And so is it, I mean, are you writing laws for that now? Is that what's happening? Yes, writing regulations. Uh, we also have to have our regulations approved by the USDA in Washington, D.C. Okay. For hemp. So I'm simultaneously working on regulations for seed, for weed seeds, and for hemp. And there are three different regulations. So um, the regulations, in fact, I just, just before we started here today, I was on the, on the computer with the people from USDA, uh, got to change a couple of other things about our regulations so we can get our state plan approved and people can legally grow hemp, not marijuana. 
So, and that's, well, I'm glad you went here because. Yeah, I was, I was considering uh, whether or not to ask. I don't know the difference. Uh, what's the, what's the difference between hemp and marijuana and why do we want to grow hemp and. Okay. So the, the, the legal difference between hemp and marijuana is the amount of THC that's in the plant. Okay. THC is tetrahydrocannabinol chemistry, right? Chemistry. <laughs> tetrahydrocannabinol or called THC. THC is, is created by the plant, the cannabis sativa L plant. And if it's below 0.3%, that's 0.3%, it's wow. called hemp. If it's above 0.3, it's called marijuana. So tetrahydrocannabinol or THC is the psychoactive part of the plant. Okay. So if it has a very low amount of psychoactive material, it's called hemp. In other words, nobody can get high smoking hemp. Okay. There you go. They could smoke it all day long and, and probably <laughs> just be disappointed. Right. Not doing anything for it. Probably sick too. Probably sick. <laughs> yeah. probably Good sick. So uh, hemp is used for fiber. Clothing is made out of hemp. Rope during World War II. In fact, there's a great video uh, when when uh, when students are studying World War II in high school and college, and and even in middle school, they they learn a lot of things about World War II. But what they don't learn is that the United States Navy used rope made from hemp that came from Japan and China before the war. Once the war broke out. We could no longer get hemp from China. So the Midwest was brought into action. The farmers were brought into action to grow hemp in the United States for the ropes on the Navy ships. Back then, they didn't use chains on the ships. They used ropes on the ships. And so Indiana was one of the major hemp producing states for fiber back in the 40s and the 50s during the Korean War as well. After that, people started figuring out that, you know, they can grow hemp differently and make it and make it marijuana by putting it under stress and things like that, and it would get a higher THC level. And then the government determined, hey, you know what, that's probably not a good idea. So that's when hemp became illegal about 80 years ago. Okay. You had to have a you had to have special permission to grow hemp then. And you have to have special permission from my office. I do the licensing of hemp growers. You have to have special permission today. You have to have a federal background check with no drug-related convictions in the last 10 years. And you have to only sell your crop to another person who's, uh, who's licensed to do the processing to turn it into fiber, to turn it into um, food, so the hemp seeds mm -hmm. are used on salads and things like that. It's oh. not allowed yet to be used on livestock feed because livestock feed, believe it or not, has so many regulations that you have to go through feeding trials. We can use it on human feed or food, but not <laughs> livestock feed. Oh my goodness. More regulated than the people food. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. hilarious. So you can use it, it's, it's considered a supplement and, and as you may know, supplements are not regulated the same way by the government than, than uh, our drugs and pharmaceuticals and things like that. 
So the other part of it that a lot of people may have heard of is CBD. Yeah. Yes. I they see just, that written everywhere in all these signs. Yeah, CBD comes from hemp. Oh. oh. CBD is cannabidiol, not tetrahydral, whatever. I'm getting myself yeah. confused now with the names. <laughs> it's all chemistry. Yeah. Uh, CBD uh, is reported to be used for helping with pain, helping with anxiety, those mm -hmm. type of things. And it's, it's widely used. Whether it works that way or not, I don't know. I have people say it does. I have people say it doesn't. In fact, major chemical company, Eli Lilly and Company, based here in Indiana, did a study on, on the hemp plant and on the benefits of the hemp plant or the detractions of the hemp plant back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And so their study uh, is mostly hidden now, but it's pretty interesting that the study was being done years and years before between hemp being made illegal and hemp being made legal again. What they found at that time, I, I believe from the study, is that it was, it was beneficial to some people, harmful to some people, and did nothing for some people. <laughs> like, like a supplement, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so so um, we regulate hemp until it becomes a product. When it becomes CBD through the extraction process, we no longer regulate that. Now it becomes a supplement and it's more in the realm of the Department of Health. Uh, wow. Wow. <laughs> well, wow. We had, uh, we talked about a lot more than I thought we would here. Yeah. <laughs> I got an exciting job. I love my job. <laughs> we can tell. Gosh, yeah. that's, we, this is very fascinating to hear. Thank you so much for sharing this. We appreciate your, we appreciate you taking the time and talking about this. We're very excited about, and uh, I was hoping to learn a little bit about the mystery seeds. But I think we learned a whole lot more. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. I, I I like I told you guys before we got going here. I used to help out in some science classes in middle school, in at Clark Pleasant, in in Whiteland, Indiana, and I loved it. Absolutely loved it. In fact, when I interviewed for this job. They asked me, what do you love about what you do? And I got to tell them all about what I love about what I do, about working at Clark Pleasant Middle School and Whiteland <laughs> High School dealing with science. It was so much fun. And I still get to deal with science, and I still love it. Yeah, perfectly. <laughs> and now you're helping kids again. <laughs> yes, I love it. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Please hit the subscribe button so you'll continue to hear about new and exciting STEM-related work being done. Tweet us questions, suggestions, and requests at Purdue SOS, or email us at k12science at purdue.edu. Until next time, be super, and remember, you are someone's hero. Boiler up! Hammer down!